Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending January 21st, 2023. This week, Reed Hastings wept as he had no more worlds to conquer. I'm Kim Hollis, wrapping up the longest four-day week of my life. Uh, Yeah, we all feel it. Yeah. With me are Tim Bridey, content creator, gamer, and new CEO of Netflix. Congrats, Tim. Thanks. I mean, if it works for George Santos, I hope it'll work for me. (laughs) (laughs) Also, David Mempower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and asleep as recently as five minutes ago. David, are you awake now? And he's asleep again. Oh, there he is. Okay. <laughs> and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's living up to the stereotype of a true Canadian every week. Okay, fine. I'll put down the poutine, but the curling stays on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> In our deep dive, it was Netflix's week and everyone else was just along for the ride. The mother of all streamers announced their fourth quarter results and they did not disappoint. Raul, what they report? There were a number of big headlines coming out of the earnings call from Netflix. One of the biggest, but not the only one, was that Netflix added a whopping 7.6 million subscribers in Q4, well above expectations. It looks like Glass Onion and Wednesday drove a flurry of new subscriptions. The new ad tier may have driven new subscriptions as well, but Netflix is being cagey as to how many of those new subscribers were actually signing up for the lower cost ad tier here. Wait a minute. So Netflix reported subscriber numbers? Isn't that weird? No. Netflix is going to continue to tell us how many subscribers they gain. What they're not doing anymore is projecting how many subscribers they expect to get in the following quarter. And really, when you come to the party with 7.6 million new subscribers, you're going to tell everybody about it. And, you know, Wall Street, who most recently has been most interested in profits and revenue over subscribers, didn't look the other way when Netflix showed up and said, look at my 7.6 million new friends. I mean, that's the thing here. They're only going to do it when the numbers are spectacular. Uh, Otherwise, silence is going to be golden here. But that is a big number for what we're describing as the most mature of the streaming services. So it's certainly based on the early conclusion. I know that Netflix wouldn't confirm either way, but it looks like there is demand for an ad-supported tier. Raul, do you agree? Yeah, we can expect that that subscriber number is going to continue to grow as Netflix continues to crack down in their polite and not too aggressive way on password sharing. The concern with ad tiers was that it would cause subscribers to downgrade from the higher revenue tiers to this cheaper ad tier. And we've seen with Disney Plus and HBO Max that this doesn't seem to have materialized. So as Netflix encourages password sharers to set up their own account, we're not seeing people downgrading to cheaper tiers, but we can expect that some of those, let's call them freeloaders, to perhaps sign up to this low-cost ad tier rather than have having to give up their subscription, their free subscription entirely. But you know, that wasn't the only big headline out of the earnings call as Netflix's co-CEO, Reed Hastings, announced that he'd be stepping down, although he would be staying on as executive chairman at the company. We executive know chairman, you say? Yes, Why, he's like did. a young Vince McMahon. Or an equally aged Bob Iger. I Oper- love the phrase equally right? <laughs> Equally <laughs> aged. Chief Operating Officer Greg Peters, and get used to that name, we'll be hearing it a lot more, will be moving up 
up and joining Ted Sarandos as co-CEO at Netflix. I will never understand the purpose of co-CEO because the whole point of CEO is you're the one who calls the shots. Two of them can't call the shots. Well, Netflix is a very siloed company in the sense that Sarandos is very much in charge of content and content creation. Every original series that you see on Netflix is under the purview of Ted Sarandos. So you would expect that someone like a chief operating officer like Greg Peters would certainly fill the position of the other co-CEO whose job it is to do the back end, the infrastructure, the operations. That's how I feel they have divided the company. And in fact, Ted Sarandos, I believe, used to be the chief content officer. So that division does seem to make sense. Raul's just said a lot of words, but let's be honest, there's an algorithm that told them the two CEOs were better, <laughs> and that's why they're doing it. We all just do what the computer tells us. The news at Netflix was almost universally good for the service. Even Hastings stepping down doesn't seem to have phased the markets. Netflix also has a lot to say about increased cash flow. As David said, they are a mature company. They said that they are past the most cash intensive phase of their build out. Netflix is now, in one of my favorite quotes from a movie, a fully armed and operational streaming service. It's where all streaming services want to be, but it's going to take Take them years to get there. Meanwhile, Netflix is there already. Netflix is making more money than they could possibly spend. They plan to spend $17 billion this year on new content, the same amount of money they spent in 2022. I wouldn't be surprised if they put some of that extra cash that right now, they probably don't know where to put it. I wouldn't be surprised if they put it towards some of those acquisitions we talked about in our end of year episode. That news is just a kick to the crotch of everyone whose show has been canceled by Netflix recently, isn't it? Well, that goes back to the algorithm. Yes, a lot of the fringe content is not getting the audience they want, even as they expand that audience. They're trying a lot of things. They're trying a lot of regional content. They're trying a lot of uh, niche markets, and some of that doesn't work. And even the stuff that you would think does work, if the computer tells them that it's not a hit, they will cancel it unblinkingly. Netflix Netflix is a slave to that algorithm, and for better or worse, it seems to work for them. Yeah, let's actually focus on one part for just a second. Well, actually, I'm going to say two things. The first thing is there was one negative, and that was the earnings per share really only came in at like a quarter of what they were expecting it to be. So there was one minor miss, but the revenue was right in line with expectations, which almost never happens for the accuracy to be in the 99 percentile. But the thing I want to talk about is the average revenue per user. Uh, we were looking at some statistics the other day that demonstrated just how far ahead of everyone else Netflix is in ARPU. It is like a crazy number. It's in the $16 range. $16.37 heading into the quarter. They're now up 10% year over year in average revenue per user. So it really is just a comical amount of money. And as a reminder, what we've spent the last couple of months doing is talking about all of the negative headlines about their ad tier of service. This is only going to be the bottom floor of this. It's going to get better from here, folks. And that is a terrifying thought for the competition. Exactly. Even if their average revenue per user based on subscriber rates were to go down, that revenue now starts getting supplemented by ad revenue, where Netflix was previously basically a one revenue stream company, subscriptions, it becomes a two revenue stream company, subscriptions and ad dollars. They have opened up an entirely new floodgate of cash. Congratulations to them. 
In our rapid fire this week, the deplorables are making news as Amazon finally realized that former Top Gear host Jeremy Clarkson was toxic and won't be producing any new programs with him beginning in 2024. I was going to say something about like, wow, he's really old. Is he even going to make it to 2024? And then I looked it up and he's, he's just like in his early 60s. The guy looks like he's in his 90s. He's He's had a rough life. He posts very Eesh. boomer, that's for sure. You don't often see people go, hey, for no apparent reason, I'd like to make some comments from some different ethnicities than mine. Please pay attention as to why I hate them. He just did that in a national publication. He needs yeah. to be taken away from his phone. Yeah, this news about Clarkson was not news. There's a reason Clarkson was let go from Top Gear in the first place. I'd say he'd gone too far years ago, but Amazon finally caught up to the rest of us. Welcome to the party. Clarkson. Meghan Markle rant in the Sun newspaper appears to have been that last straw. Everybody now is apologizing. The Sun apologized, of all things. Clarkson's even trying to walk it back. No, I wasn't nearly as racist as I appear to be in this article I wrote in a newspaper. (laughs) Jesus. I misquoted myself. (laughs) Yeah. And in a bit of surprising news, upstart golfing circuit Live, backed by the Saudi Public Investment Fund, has found its broadcast partner as they've signed a deal to bring their matches to the CW network. You know, the, the one thing I wanted to mention last week when we were talking about how WWE had potentially been bought by this exact same company or group, Saudi Public Investment Fund, which is literally the country of Saudi Arabia, by the way, was like, oh, they're they're also behind Live Golf. Did, did they have TV deal in, in the US? And it turns out the answer was no, but I guess now they do. So this is uh, it's not really great. I mean, Google the term sports washing, and that's what this and the theoretical you know, purchase of WWE is. The other thing I want to emphasize here, when we talk about them having a sports deal, it's on the CW. And as a reminder, we've spent the last two years talking about how the CW has given up the ghost. So it was this or some sort of ghost hunters after dark type of programming. So it's really a lateral move. What they're really hoping here is that this does well enough that the next contract, they can get like a real network to cover them because the CW is, you know, comedy relief at this point. Has the CW ever done any live sports? I mean, it kind of depends on how we we evaluate their history. UPN, which was, you know, half of the CW back in the day, they had SmackDown way back when. But in terms of the CW doing stuff, I mean, it's syndicated programming on the weekends. So that's kind of a challenging question to answer. I think it's probably yes, but nothing of note. I'm not sure that either party is paying for this. In other words, I was operating an assumption that if Liv had a TV contract, they would have to pay for it as if they were, you know, a paid sponsor for a broadcast. It appears that is not happening, but it also appears that the CW is not paying Liv. So this is just, you can use our airwaves for your product and we'll take the ad revenue. As near as I can tell, I actually, if any of our readers find differently, the only source I found for this, I swear to God, was Golf Network, golf.com. So if there's something more updated, I'd like to read it. That would be my suspicion. Wouldn't it make sense that the CW would jump at free content 
where they get all the ad revenue and wouldn't live golf uh, jump at an opportunity to appear on an American broadcast network where they don't have to actually pay to have their events shown? That was the implication that golf.com had, which was it was a deal that basically if you're desperate for money, you can't say no because you're getting 100% of the profit. You're not sharing with the golf company itself. They're just getting what they want, which is, you know, to be on American television. Yeah, I think at this point, the CW has canceled almost all of their original programming, except for, ironically, All-American. They needed something. And here's this golf organization that comes to them and says, you can fill their your airwaves with all this content for free. And who are they to say no? It's either that or bankruptcy. Watch your favorite washed up golfers of 20 years ago, everyone. Uh, yeah. All right, Tim, how about you go ahead and take us into the box office for this week? Yep. One for the history books as House Party is the movie to knock off Avatar from. No, no, House Party made four <laughs> billion last weekend. Uh, good job, Warner Brothers, for making that one of your, your main theatrical temples. That worked out great for you guys. Meanwhile, in just the story just continues to be Avatar uh, with a couple other minor ones. Adding another you know, 32 million last weekend, 32.8 million actually, 564.6 million domestically. And by the end of this weekend, we'll have crossed 2 billion worldwide. What else can we say about this? It's headed to probably what, fourth all time, David? Yeah, it is almost certain to be fourth all time, probably within the next 10 to 14 days, which means that James Cameron will somehow have... Yeah, let, let, me, let me let me check. He's got... Okay, there's Avatar, the second Avatar. Oh, Titanic. Okay, wait. He's good at this, isn't he? There are 8 billion people on this planet. The odds of having one of the top four films of all time is one in 8 billion. <laughs> He has three. That's one in eight billion squared. And that's a big number, folks. <laughs> and more to come. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It, it, Here's it, the thing about James Cameron. His ego is almost incomprehensible big. And it's justified. I mean, I spent 10 years hearing how there was no cultural impact for Avatar. Nobody wants an Avatar 2. Tim, did people want to see Avatar 2? Uh Yes, lots of people wanted to see Avatar 2 and did see Avatar 2. We spent 10 years hearing about how it made no cultural impact. And now the criticism is, well, you have to adjust for box office inflation. And I'm like, do you really think that's going to take away $2 billion from $2 billion? <laughs> what? It's still a lot of money. Yeah, the numbers are too high for inflation to, to have actually done, done much with that. So is that it then? Movies are saved. Everyone's coming back to the theaters? Um, last weekend was surprisingly good for the middle of January. I mean, it was a holiday weekend, which did probably contribute a few extra bucks, but five movies made over 10 million. Even Plane came in at 10.2 million. A Man Called Otto, you know, we talked about that, mentioned that last week as well, expanded into I release with Tom Hanks, you know, 12.8 million. And then Universal is still doing better than you, you think in the theater department with, you know, Megan and Puss in Boots, which also crossed 100 million last weekend. That Puss in Boots in particular seems to be very much under the radar somehow oh, yeah. in this terms a, of analysts, a, but not in terms of theater goers. Yeah, this yeah, is a big sure. stealth. This is a big stealth hit. This movie, you're going to look at how much it made and be like, wait, what? Because yeah. yeah, another another 150 million worldwide too. So yeah, 263 million to date. It's this year's family film that took advantage of the holiday box office inflation. Mm -hmm. If you release it in the middle of the year, it probably makes half of this, mm -hmm. maybe 
thirds, but because it is a nice film where everyone can just go, you know what, let's go as a family and watch this. It does extraordinarily well. And we don't want to overstate it because it's not, you know, a massive blockbuster or anything, but it is a very steady performance. For something that is, feels like it was several years too late. Yeah, this is, this is a certified hit. And we're starting to get some good news for box office out of China as well. Yeah, I'll take that one. Disney has been in a Cold War with China for an extended period of time. There was never an official declaration that China was banning their films. There was just an unofficial, yeah, we're not going to release that. Well, that has changed. Beijing is going to exhibit two different MCU titles in the next three to four weeks. They're going to do Wakanda Forever on first week of February, the same time that it starts showing on Disney+. And then they're going to do Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania on day and date. So this is a massive deal for Disney. We're always talking about how the revenue gets exaggerated with China because, you know, the split is brutal, but every little bit helps. And it also allows you to say, hey, the box office is that much better. This is one of those things we've been talking about where Avatar has struggled uphill with all of the constraints against Disney with its international box office. Moving forward, there's reason to believe that the situation has improved. Chinese marketplace artificially inflates box office a massive amount. So it's a big get. In our green lights and cancellations this week, the sixth and final season of Cobra Kai has been greenlit at Netflix. It hadn't already. I had been operating on the expectation that there were that this season that just passed, which really passed uh, without making too many waves, uh, was the penultimate one with a final season to come. And well, that season has now been greenlit. Boy, imagine if they had ended on season five without a closure to the story. I'm glad they decided to move ahead with the final season so that we could all find out how Johnny Lawrence's journey concludes. Elizabeth Shue had better be part of the cast for season six. That's all I'm saying. We'll see. Netflix also announced their 2023 movie slate this week. That's right. In their lead up to the earnings call, Netflix announced projects like Zack Schneider's Rebel Moon, which I'm going to say with a straight face, the filmmaker this sees... Does not want... <laughs> oh my gosh. Release no. the Snyder Cut. Zack Schneider is calling this his stab at a Star Wars-like franchise. So he's going to call it Rebel Moon. Okay. Oh boy. Because I guess his Day of the Dead franchise is DOA. David Fincher's The Killer. Ooh, I wonder if it's dark. And of course, the third Knives Out movie, which I was wondering if that was actually going to be coming in 2023. And it looks like it is. Really? Wow. Okay. I I wasn't aware. I mean, I, I don't know if we've ever gotten official word that Brian Johnson had already a script or anything like that. So, wow. That'll move really quickly then. Yeah. Also, is not the David Fincher Netflix project I want. No, Mindhunters, bring it back. Oh, actually, yeah. You know, I read somewhere that he was... I know they've been trying. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder if maybe the killer is in any way related to Mindhunters. I haven't read any synopsis. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Nope. Interesting. At Hulu, the Letterkenny spinoff Shorzy about a rough and tumble hockey player has been picked up for a second season. Boy, we're going to have a whole Letterkenny universe on our hands soon. And Meryl Streep has been added to the all-star ensemble cast for the third season of Only Murders in the Building. Oh, she did it. She absolutely did it. (laughs) 
<laughs> that was my exact thought too. When Steve Martin basically tweeted that that picture of, of himself, Martin Short, Selena Gomez, Paul Rudd, and then <laughs> Meryl Streep. I'm like, yeah, she did it. And finally at Paramount Plus, Taylor Sheridan continues his domination as his upcoming Western series, Bass Reeves, about the famous African-American lawman has cast David Oyelowo in the lead with Dennis Quaid supporting. This one sounds really interesting, but doesn't matter if if it is or not. It's got a spectacular cast and it's from Taylor Sheridan. So everyone's going to watch it anyway, don't matter how good or bad it is. So this podcast is about three years old now. Have we gone a full month without mentioning Taylor Sheridan yet? (laughs) No. Mr. Streaming, everyone. We're not going to stop now. There's plenty of years to go. Taylor Sheridan, the Paramount Kid. What a great nickname. All right. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And I watched more of the aforementioned Letter Kenny, which I just have a lot of fun with. David always says, what is this show? And I say, I don't know, but I like it. So, you know, good enough. But also watched a couple of episodes of Velma. It's interesting. I kind of wonder if it was just its own standalone thing rather than characters that come from an established intellectual property if it would get better ratings. I think that people are get themselves up in arms about it because it's theoretically Scooby-Doo's Velma and, and those characters. And it's a travesty that they're doing things that are not quote unquote true to those characters and it's dirty and all that good stuff. But anyway, I think it was fairly funny. Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, a good 20 minutes, half hour of television. I think the cat has an opinion too. Oh yes, she does. She has the opinion that I need to feed her. (laughs) (laughs) I will make a counterpoint here. I do have to watch it because of who I married. Let me tell you, I hated it after five minutes, never wanted to go back. I don't get Mindy Kaling. I've never got Mindy Kaling. I honestly forgot she was involved in the project. And then the exposition in the first five minutes was so angrifying with its awfulness that I could not stand it. I thankfully fell asleep during the second episode, but this crap was so bad that all I kept thinking was, wow, but for the grace of God, this could be the Harley Quinn animated series. You put them (laughs) diametrically opposed on a chart. This is what excellent looks like. You point at Harley Quinn. This is what worst case scenario looks like. You point at Velma. It is horrible. (laughs) Well, okay then. Raul, what's been keeping you busy? Uh, Have I mentioned I'm watching curling? Curling. Uh, I'm not going to get into the weeds of this too much, but the service called Curling Stadium has figured out an affordable way to make curling live streaming available to the masses. They have a package of cameras and associated devices that I know all about. I recognize every brand and every model that they have because it is my business. So it's fascinating to me. And they have figured out how to automate the recording and streaming of a match from basically any curling rink. The consequences is that you can now navigate to the Curling Zone channel on YouTube. YouTube and find countless hours of curling, much of it live. While it was previously difficult for me to find the Canadian men's and women's curling championships, the Briar and the Scotties Tournament of Hearts, now I'm actually watching each provincial qualifier for these tournaments in really some cases curling rinks that look no more than a barn shed. It's astounding that they're actually live streaming these events from these places. A lot of this is clearly automated 
created through the curling stadium platform. As you can see that there are no cameramen on the ice and not even any commentary in some cases, just a mix of stationary and pan tilt zoom or PTZ cameras. It's delightfully cathartic to just watch curling without the commentary, just the sounds of players shouting, brooms sweeping. You could hear those brushes, rocks smashing into each other. I'm not going to lie. I just turned this on at bedtime and let it run. It is bliss. All right, Tim, what have you been up to? Uh, I finished the season of The Traders, which was pretty good. They did the twist that I was expecting they would do if one of the traders was uh, eliminated early on. But the finale is like a big gut punch. Some of these people are going to have trust issues for the rest of their lives because of their experience on this show, but it's overall was pretty good. And I do hope that there's a, a, a season a season two. It was pretty fun. Uh, I did also check out the revival of Night Court. Uh, I mean, I just watched the first episode. It premiered this week on NBC, but the first two episodes are also on Peacock. It exists. It's a, it's a show. It's very just formulaic sitcom. Melissa Roush is really trying. John Larroquette is still very funny, but it's just, it's, it's, it's there. I'll, maybe I'll check out the next couple episodes to see if they keep it going, but I am kind of hoping it succeeds and, and gets better. Supposedly it did okay, as good as a TV show can do ratings-wise these, these these days when it when it aired. Uh, but it I was really hoping for a little bit more, but maybe I'll give it a shot as it has more episodes. Night Court, Quantum Leap, NBC is back, baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for that family ties uh spin-off. <laughs> They'll call it Mallory with an exclamation mark. (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.